Where would your life and business be if you weren't afraid to take risks? And if instead of wondering, what do I get in return for doing this? You just gave and you did the best that you absolutely could for everybody you came across, revealing the exceptional in them, making their lives better. What would your life be like if that's what you did? What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest is my friend, Charles Weinraub, the handsome home buyer, and that is exactly how he's built his real estate empire. You're going to get a lot on today's podcast about just how to be. Be, do, have that we talk about. Become the person that you need to be before you are that person so that you can start doing the things that that person would do and have the person have the things that that person would get. Buckle up. We go fast. We're two Jews from New York. You're going to enjoy it. Charles Weinraub. Yes. You have built an empire by being omnipresent yes. on social media. I tell my friends all the time when they're looking for like any information about real estate, they, they say... You know, everybody knows somebody who's like, just get a, just get a rental property. I'm like, oh yeah, just get a rental property. Like, it's just easy. You it can't go wrong. And I tell them about you. And I'm like, my friend Charles studied for three and a half years under Carl Chavon, who is a mentor to people who want to buy real estate before he bought his first property. And now he's, if not the biggest, one of the biggest flippers of properties and buy and holds on all of Long Island. I'm not just going to go willy-nilly buy a property because it seems like it makes sense. Talk to me about um, talk to me about why that is a mistake for people, and then we'll get into the, the the social media element of just being omnipresent. Yeah, so I mean, and listen, I, I'm somebody that I, I barely made it out of high school, right? I was like a big disciplinary problem. I have ADHD to the max, so like I don't like studying. I'm studying. I don't like taking time. Like I want it yesterday. Like everybody wants it yesterday. Mm -hmm. that, that's the thing. And I think that's everybody's problem. And everybody sees everything on social media, cars, the watches, the bullshit. They think they can just go out and do a, like a, a boot camp course for two days and be ready to go. Do you think they take a boot camp course for two days? They have this stuff. I know, but I think they just find a property and they're like, oh, that looks like a good price in my town. I'm going to buy it and get a tenant in it. Some people do. It happens all the time. But the thing is the first deal could be the last deal and the only deal that you do. Mm -hmm. So, and this is what I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, let's, let's block out 10 years. Let's say you want to buy 100 houses in 10 years. It doesn't matter when you buy them. It just matters that you buy them. So, for example, if I spent the first three years getting educated and then I bought 100 houses in the next seven years, I hit my goal. If you start doing that at the beginning, but you don't have my education and as a result, you don't hit the number or you lose a ton of money, you're not hitting the goal. So just because you're spending time getting educated to put yourself in a position to succeed doesn't mean you're wasting time. It's part of the process. One of the things I've talked about is like my father wants to get a rental property. My brother-in-law wants to get a rental property. Oh, I really? want to get a rental property. We all do. But well, okay. I would say why? I mean, it's awesome. You why should. Why do want to get a rental property? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm just tired of my money sitting in the market and, and waiting on other people to do stuff with it. Yes. And, and there's just so many... A, tax benefits. Yes. Um, B, you can have some pride in it. Yes. Right? Like my, my I, I imagine I have some Raytheon stock. I, who, who even knows, right? I put my money into whatever I put my money into and just hope that it's, it's more tomorrow. <laughs> um, but like it would be cool to be able to have a piece of property that appreciates in value that I can somehow depreciate at yes. the same time and never pay taxes that, again, that never pay taxes on your ordinary again. income, of by course, the way, which is amazing. Of course. Well, I want to, I want to learn more about that in a second, yes. but 
I can put a nice family into it and, and, and like be the landlord who actually takes care of their tenants. So the tenants want to be there for a long time and they want to take care of the house. Uh, all of those things just seem cool. And the idea of getting my money out of a IRA and putting into a self-directed IRA to buy the house. Amazing is, thing. That like that just to me seems cool. And then I can see myself doing it every few years and not ever getting into the business the way that you're in the business where like, this is what I do. But building a little bit of a portfolio that is cash flow positive, that has, you know, the ability to sell out if I ever wanted to, and 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 that actually does good for people. Yeah, I mean, listen, in in theory, it is very possible for you to when you if, when you understand what you're doing, buy a house a year for 10 years and then never have to worry about retirement again. That's what I'm talking about. Like literally. Um, the only thing is that you need to spend time and dedicate to learning and understanding where the deals come from, how to analyze the deals, all those things. And I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and many years learning that, and it still doesn't end. Well, did you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars before you made your first purchase? So Carl was an absolute bargain, but I spent- and He still is. And, and still is. I spent, um, I don't even, I mean, that time it was like $2,500. I probably spent $10,000 with Carl and three years of really hard work before I was ready to buy my first house and then it took me a year to find the first house and then I was off like a rocket and that was it. Right. But um, I mean, even now I just, I just hired a mentor for three months and paid him $30,000 and literally in the first 60 minutes, he completely changed my life. <laughs> if I only got him for the first 60 minutes, it would have been worth How the $30,000. So? How so? What do you do? Because there's, like, you know, I, I went to NYU and got my master's in real estate development, and that was an amazing this experience. This is after. So for people who are listening, you first yes. graduated high school, then went to business world, yes. and then you went back to NYU. At 37, 38, right. I went back and got my master's. I just want people to be able to put the timeline together. Yeah, there's you get to a certain point where you just need very specific questions answered, and if you can get the those answers, you can just take off. What was It'll the propel you. So, okay. So the thing that my goal for this year in my business was – I'm like, listen, I don't need to make money. I just, I, like, I need to break even. I was saying to myself at the beginning. But what I need to do is I need to totally reposition and change the way my business works and turn it from a me-dependent business into a system-dependent business that is a machine that functions without me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the great thing is, like, the year is ending, and for the most part, I'm just a little bit restricted by I need to hire more people, and I'm having a hard time finding the right people. Mm -hmm. But we've done it. And it is a total fucking game changer. Well, for people who don't know, you also made a really smart decision and hired a guy who could also be the guy on the side of your cars. Yes. Based on the way he looks. Oh, Coop? Yeah. Yeah, no, he is, yes, he is a superhero. He, but, yes, but like, in every aspect of the word. And the handsome home buyer on the side of the car yes. looks like you, but it also could look like him if we yes, wanted it to. basically. But so, is this what the guy said? You talk to this guy and you're like, hey, I'm gonna give you $30,000. I need to build a business that that is cash, cash flow even this year. But but that sets me up to be able to pull myself out and focus on bigger things that that grow this business and our ancillary arms to this business. And he was like, oh, put systems in place. And you were like, what a what a dream idea. I didn't think of that myself. Well, it's a couple things, right? First, the, the first thing he did was we flew out to California and we sat with him for an entire Who's day. Who's we? Your whole um, team? My, my executive team. So myself, Nat, and my COO, and um, Mark Francis, who's my CFO. Okay. So we flew out there. And sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this. You're so involved in your business that sometimes, like, you can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. So, and we had been doing things a certain way for so long that he sat us down, 
and basically went through our entire business model, stripped it down, basically exposed us. We're standing there for all intents and purposes <laughs> naked in Is his office. A, he's a real estate guy or just a business guy? He's he's a business guy, but predominantly real estate. Okay. He built an operation where they're wholesaling and buying. Um, well, basically, they, they purchase, renovate, tenant, and then sell off to funds like 1,200 houses a year okay. in 11 different markets. Okay. All kinds of big educational platform, all those things. BlackRock, right? Um, not, 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 not on that level. Black, BlackRock basically owns the world. Um, but he stripped us down naked and then forced us to look at things a totally different way. And a lot of things we were doing just completely didn't make sense. And I'll give you an example. So I fix and flip houses. So I would buy 70 to 110 houses a year, gut renovate them and sell them. And I would build ancillary businesses that operated as a break-even just to service myself to, in order to enable that business to exist. So those ancillary businesses are things like a sheetrocking company, a plumbing company. So a, uh, a construction company, mm -hmm. a permit company, things like that. Right, okay. captain permit. What I, what I was doing wrong was, is that I really should have focused on building a marketing company that specializes in bringing opportunities in. And then once I have those deals, if I am going to renovate them, I would sell them to myself. Like I wasn't putting value on my own money, my own time, my own efforts. Once you start doing that, you start to realize that all these other businesses that you have to manage and they're just, they're a massive risk mm -hmm. and it's not worth it. So what would break down for people what you're describing there? Because I want to understand it better. And also I have a friend who, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I think John, if you're listening, is doing something similar in Miami to okay. where he basically uh, understood the, the gap in the market where contractors are inconsistent, mm -hmm. right? And they don't even necessarily answer the phone calls. And so Angie's List as a company was getting all these deals for people, but then the contractors, it was falling through and then Angie's List was getting bad reviews. Yeah. So they were like, hey, we're going to give all of this business to you. And then you are responsible for the contractors because we know that you'll get it all done. And so he basically became the GC to GCs and then those GCs started saying, you have all these deals. Why don't you just pay me a salary and own my business? So now he owns all these businesses. That's, so go on. I mean, I guess that could go a million different ways. It could sure. be a total cluster or it could be an amazing But if thing. we stop at that decision, at that, at that pivot, right? What happened was he became the guy where all the deals came to him. And okay. then he was farming the deals out to all these other people. Oh, which is, which is awesome. Right. Is that what you're describing people doing? are going to deliver. Yeah, so basically what it is, so I'll give you, this is what happened. So what happened was, well, he oversaw the delivery. He had a crew where the deal was like, I'm sending you this deal. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you this much of an advance to start. Yeah. If you don't do what you say, you're off the deal, and my crew's just going to come in and finish. Okay. And they would have been at a loss. Okay. I mean, if so what happened with me was this. We have done very, very well, and we've done very well for two different reasons. A, I always buy right. But B, more importantly, the market has trended up for my entire six- or seven-year career. So what happened was when the market dipped a little bit, when the interest rates popped up, mm -hmm. I got hurt on some things and didn't do well for a period of time for six months because of the perfect storm. So you had rates that were driving up and you had just, the building departments are horrible. Mm -hmm. So building okay. supplies went through the roof. Building departments are absolutely horrible Long Island. I can't think of any, it just, it's so, so, so bad. And then interest rates rose. So a lot of people got kicked out of the market. Luckily, New York is like another planet. So we don't really get hurt like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I got lucky. But I started to really look at my business and say, it doesn't make sense. 
to do all these things. Like I have all these businesses that I'm carrying to hopefully make money flipping a house, but when the market shifts, it exposes all of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now what we did was, and here's the big thing also, at the beginning of the business, I had no, uh, I had no money, but I had a lot of time. In the beginning of the business, you're talking like 2015. Yeah, seven years ago when I started, I had no money, but I had a lot of time. So okay. I couldn't pay to market, and nor did I really understand how to market. So I would go out and build relationships with real estate agents and wholesalers and all these people that would send me 40, 50, 60 plus deals a year, which is a great thing because A, it doesn't cost me any money. When you say send you deals, they, you mean they would say this house is for sale, you could buy it for a good price. Yeah, so this is how it usually works. Charles, what's going on? I got this deal. It's 450. Do you want it? It's yours. Nobody else gets to see it. That's it. I don't compete with people. I don't bid. It's mine. We have a relationship. They want to work with me. That's it. End of story. Is that because they want to sell it after you fix it? It's a combination of things. Um, a, they always know that I take care of them, mm -hmm. and they're going to sell this beautiful house when it's done. We're going to do all kinds of social media together. I'm going to promote them. I create an experience for them, like a pleasant experience for them, and they like me. 90% they like me. Well, I, th I think what you're saying there is I want people to hear that because a lot of people, most people listening to this are not going to be home flippers, right? Like that's just the, the math on this. Yes. Now, what I think you said there that I want all of them to hear is your value proposition is not more money today. Your value proposition to them is a frictionless experience that delivers more than what you expected. Yeah. It's, you're not going to have to worry that this, the papers are going to be filed properly. You're going to get your stuff on time. I'm going to highlight you and your business for you finding me the deal so other people are going to find out about your brand. Yes. And it's going to be a fun experience. Yes. And they're like, well, why would I hem and haw over $10,000 more and maybe have to spend another month and a half and then deal with all the nightmares that come with it? I'd rather just deal with Charles over and over again. Yeah, and they really, I mean, to put it the simplest way, like they, they like me. Like you can suck at what you do, but we really likable. Like I have an SEO guy, right? Guy does the SEO for me, does my websites. I want to fire him every other day, <laughs> but I like him so much. Like Nat and I sit the other day, I'm like, bro, I want to hate this guy. Like I just, I want to hate him. I've been waiting for him. He promised me a new site in two weeks. It's been two goddamn months. The fucking site's not up yet. And, and I want to fire him, but I like him so much. So if you put the two together, it's a recipe for just, you know, making a ton of money. What's amazing about that though is I think people would hear the kind of business that you run and assume if that guy said two weeks and it's not done in two weeks, he's gone. Someone else is going to come in and do it. So yeah. how long, like how long is that rope? Does he get six months? No, it doesn't. If it's not done like by the end of the year, it's like, we got to find somebody else. But, and that's the thing I, I should be, I should be quicker to, to cut ties like that in business. I usually am. I'm pretty good. With this, with this guy, it's it's kind of an. Nice I get thing. it, man. I have, I've listen. I've I've talked to our team about this recently. I've stood in the way of people on our team getting fired when I was like, I like them. I like this person. This person has potential. We need to do a better job developing and supporting this person. It's not on them. It's on us. And then eventually, it comes to a head like a year later, and I'm like, fine, let's do it. And then two days after they're fired, I'm like. Why didn't you guys make me do this a year? Yeah, like I feel so much better. Yes. This is great. <laughs> and, I feel like that with ex-girlfriends. And they probably not so much do in business. Too. They that person probably does too. Maybe not right away, but eventually. So so okay, you built your business in the beginning. So people, what I love about this is people listening are probably like, well, yeah, sure, you need a ton of money to do this, but you started this all on relationship capital. Yeah. So basically, so yeah, all the deals were coming in from agents, and I, and that. So no upfront marketing costs. I raised all the money from the beginning off of social media, like accidentally. How? 
So I was, this is like the days of Facebook before Instagram was really big. So I was kind of documenting my journey without knowing that you should be documenting your journey. I was just kind of documenting my journey on Facebook. How do you do that? Were you like, hey, here I am at Carl's office today learning about buying real estate. Exactly. Or I would take pictures that I'm at this real estate event and I'm learning or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, like kids that I played high school baseball, little league baseball with when I was like 12, started reaching out to me saying, hey, listen, you know, if you ever get a deal and you want investors, I would like to invest. And that's how I funded my first deal. That's wild. And now I always joke that I'm like the biggest investment vehicle in Wantoa. So like <laughs> half the kids I graduated with, you know, my parents, all kinds of people, you know, people are rolling, you know, self-directed IRA money, all that stuff into funding, funding these projects. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's very cool. Is it a high risk thing to fund with you? Um, I don't think so. I mean, listen, knock on wood. Is this real wood? Yeah, it's real wood. Oh. That's tin underneath it, man. Okay. You can look at it from the side. <laughs> it's real wood. You can feel it. Yeah, we've never lost money for any investors since um, the beginning. But, and listen, you have, I have money in every deal. So there's the profit as a cushion. There's my money as a cushion. And then there's investor money. Right. You know, barring some kind of, God forbid, nuclear war, real estate on Long Island doesn't tank like that. Plus, we don't have these things for that long. What do you mean? We don't own the properties for long. Right, right, right. So, so when someone invests with you, they're giving you, let's just say, $50,000, and then it's a six-month, 10% return. Yeah, sometimes four, four months. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is. How Now we're actually doing less work to houses and blowing them out faster and making more money doing that, which is ironic. Well, you're printing them. We were. Yeah, we are printing Wait, them. Were or are? We did and are. But yeah, today we, we are printing it. We're waiting. Okay. For uh, for uh, permits for something, but yes, okay, VR printing. I think that's so crazy. By the way, just showing up with the machine and being like, "All right, the house will be ready in what ten days." It's wild. It's freaking wild. Yeah, I mean, three D printing the actual house in fourteen print days, that's so and then crazy. finishing work. Yeah, it's definitely the future. It's nuts. And like it's le- it's less expensive, more expensive, or similarly expensive. With us, it's le- nobody else has been able to do it for less money. With us, we're like, if let's say it takes the average builder two hundred dollars a square foot to build on Long Island right now we think we're going to be able to get it for about $100 a square foot. Wow. And then you could charge the same thing, so your profits are double your build-out cost, your cash-on-cash profit. Well, I guess it depends, right? If you're speculatively building to sell somebody a house, it's whatever the market bears to the completed house. They don't care what it costs to build it. Right. But if you are a builder for hire, the end user is going to save. Right, right, right. Yeah, the end user is going to save. Okay. So for people who don't understand what that means, it's it's if you build a development, for example, people who are buying the house are just like, well, this is what a house costs in this town. So of course I'm going to pay what this house costs. Yeah. But if I say, hey, Charles, I want you to build a spec house for me, for example, I can get a better deal because... It would cost less. Right. Yeah, those parts. But most importantly, it's it's a much better built house. Like it's it's a bomb shelter. Really? Yeah, you can't... The first house that we speculatively built and sold that I did, uh, the largest 3D printed house in the country, I think it still is, is in Islandia. It was on the corner of a very busy road. You go in that house, you can't hear anything. Literally, a nuke go off outside your door, you can't hear a thing. <laughs> is it hard to renovate? Like if someone wanted to change a floor plan? Yeah, I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, you have concrete walls. But it could be done? Yeah, of course, it could be done. But yeah, it's not. The, so the, the, the walls inside are not load-bearing. So for all intents and purposes, you could take a sledgehammer Interesting. and break them down and change things, yes. You could right. do additions, yes. It's just, it's a little bit more annoying. Okay, fair enough. So... <clears throat> I like to think of you as Grant Cardone if Grant Cardone had more ethics. <laughs> now, now, for people who don't... I don't have his money yet. It's listen, coming. Listen, but. I know. I don't know Grant Cardone. He could be the most ethical guy in the world. I, I just... I have my thoughts. Um, and I know people who have spent... Like, I know... I, I have a friend of mine who spent $100,000 to go sit down with him for, I think it was three days. And 
he was like, look, he's every bit of who he is on social media in real life. Yeah. And his advice was worth more than the $100,000 I paid him. Yep. So no, sh- no shade being thrown in his direction. When I when people ask, like, oh, who's this guy who told me to follow? I'm like, he's, imagine Grant Cardone, but local with ethics. And, and you've talked about the social media for a long time. And I remember there was a time period where you, your account, your Instagram account was, I don't want to call it stuck, but it was like the, the, the growth rate, the growth curve slowed around five, 6,000 people. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I, I turned around and I'm like, he's at 25,000 people now. Like, where did that, how did that happen? Where did that change? And why is it valuable? So I think it's just, so I've been creating content pretty much at scale for like the last four or five years. I what think do you mean it, by content at scale? So we're on every single platform putting out three pieces of content every single day. Is like someone doing that for you? Breakfast, or are you, lunch, and are dinner. Are you typing it? I am literally putting it out myself. Okay. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we do like two long form videos a week. We do a podcast and usually some type of educational vlog. Mm-hmm. And then short form on all the platforms three times a day. Okay. So it's a combination of that. It's a combination with playing around with different things, just the build up over time. The guys that, that I see that have big followings, most of them, you need about 10 years to start to get a big following. Mm-hmm. There are some people that like rocket out of nowhere, right. but that's like the, the underwhelming majority, minority, right? Yeah, look, one of the things that I'm learning now that I, I, I can't decide if I like it or not is I think I understand the code now. And now it's just about, do I want to punch that code in all the time? It's, well, it's just, it's just consistency is really what it is over a long period of time. It's consistency and it's, it's cutting through with the content. What do you mean right? by so, that? So, so, okay. So we just did, for the longest time, we would just film things in, in a fairly vanilla way. Okay. My face talking at a camera, explaining topics. Yeah, it works, but it works. It's a slow burn on that. Recently, we started getting a little bit more outlandish. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing anything that is, uh, that crosses a moral or ethical boundary, but we're doing things that are more entertainment value. Well, right? yeah, and also what it is is, it's the size of your market. You know, you are you are servicing a niche market. When I'm talking about real estate investing, I'm servicing a very niche market. When you start to make content about things that are relatable to a broader audience. Mm-hmm is when you also, that's what I saw. I, so, so that's fair. That makes sense. One of the things I'm thinking about when you describe that, and that's interesting because I'm curious who your avatar is then, but <clears throat> I don't think fitness is a niche market. I think, I think talking about developing fitness or, or selling it is a niche market. But if that's how you're talking about it or thinking about it, I think you have it backwards. It's about the life that people want to be able to live. And everybody wants to live a good life. So, you know, I, I look at fitness like a game of Plinko. You know the game Plinko? Yeah, you do. There's a bunch of, <laughs> you drop a coin at the top. There's a bunch of posts. The coin like, okay, yes. I didn't know it was called Plinko, but yeah. yes. Okay, so I got it's it. like, we don't know the path you're going to take, but eventually you end up at fitness and nutrition. Yeah. But, but you okay. start off, maybe you need some financial help. Maybe you need a better job. Maybe you need different relationships. Got maybe it. you need more mental health. But you end up in fitness and nutrition. That I agree with. But then I guess it's just, it's the marketing angle of how you sell it. So it's like, if I'm, if I'm selling that, I'm selling the end result, which I don't really like to do this. This is like a lot of guys do this. Grant does this. All these guys do it. And it's statistically proven that they do better marketing this way, which is showing all the flashy shit. So if you are showing a guy with a smoking hot 11.5 on his arm, living this amazing life, 
and this is who he was before, and this is the process he went through and health and fitness and all that and how it transformed everything about him, that's kind of like what people want to see. But when I say niche market, and I'm relating this to myself, if I'm showing off the cars, the lifestyle, whatever, people get excited about real estate because they see that. But if I'm just teaching mm -hmm. specific things about real estate, like three people will watch it. Right. Do you know who Edward Collins is? Who? Edward Collins. No. Edward Collins official, I think is his account. Whatever. You guys can look it up. Uh, he's a financial literacy guy, and he talks about tax savings and all this kind of stuff and investment strategies. All he does is sit at a desk, watches an investment video, and then responds to it. His whole account, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, and somehow he's built a following of over a million people. And he gets a ton of... TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Okay. I'm just getting used to the China machine now. I just, I just got started on it. It's so confusing to me. It's so scarily amazing. I, I've heard that. It could... I mean, I put one video out, I got 150,000 followers off of it. It's, it's literally the sickest thing ever. One video got you 150,000 followers. One video. That's why I keep posting there, because I'm like, yeah. one of these might hit. It, I post a video. I post a video. It's got 23 million views, and then the next video will have... 200. Right. What was the, all of mine are in the 200s. <laughs> but all of a sudden there's what What'd I, you do? Pull your dick out? I yeah, no, no. That would have even less than 200. <laughs> that's very that's that's less than impressive. I uh, I did a 3D printed video that had 22 oh, okay. million. But recently I've had them put out like, you know, 200. Then yesterday I did a very and this is the interesting thing. The videos that we put the most effort into like the production value of it always do the worst. Mm -hmm. The videos that are just like, let me pull my phone out. Like yesterday I made a video about uh Tommy DeVita. I don't know what that is. It sounds familiar. Tommy's the quarterback for the Giants? Quarterback for the New York Giants. Okay. I made a video about him because he lives with his mom, and I would right. love to live with my mom. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I put that thing out. I put that thing out on TikTok. All of a sudden, it's got like 80,000 views in 15 hours. Mm -hmm. 200, 200 for like months and months. All of a sudden, Tommy DeVita. Well, because you probably, you probably hit a vein in Boca, and all the Jewish moms are sending it to their sons. <laughs> you see, this man makes a good living. He wants to live with me. Why don't you want me to move back into your house, son? <laughs> It's just you. I'm not mad. I'm just. I'm just sad about it. You never know what's gonna <laughs> hit, but you you need the at bats. So yeah. I have three at bats a day, right. every single day. Right. A lot of them bomb, but when I started to really, really take off, believe it or not, I started uh, going out and helping. And this is a very, very, very cool thing and a very cool story. Um, I've like changed the lives of like probably a half a dozen restaurants in the last six months. How? So. I just, I just decided I was going to come up with this thing called Long Island's Best, and I was going to talk about the restaurants that I think are the best. I've seen that series. Okay. So the first one out of the gate, I did this Chinese restaurant that I love, uh, that I think is the best Chinese on Long Island. Where is it? It's in like uh, Greenvale, Greenlawn, over by Roslyn. Okay. Called Hunan Taste. Okay. So I do this video where I just sit there and talk about how Hunan Taste is the greatest thing ever. Phone. You keep talking. I'm going to put it on my phone because I need to and, Chinese and you need And you need to go. Hunan Taste. You have to eat there, though. It's better than if you take the takeout. If you take the takeout. Take out. I okay, live in good. Long Beach. For people who don't know, it's a 40-minute drive. From I'm everything. I'm not going to take it out. From everything. Um, so Hunan Taste, amazing. So I made this video. Hunan, it, this video blew up half a million views in, okay. on Instagram in, I don't know, 30, 45 days. Okay. So I don't go there. I, I haven't gone there. It just blows up. I was like, whatever. Then I go to this restaurant called... Um, Italian restaurant in um, in Farmingdale, and I love this place. Old school place. They bring you the fruit at the end. They ask if you want like some some free. What's that? Papa? No. What's that other stuff? Lemoncello. Okay. And I noticed noticed there's like two or three people in this place on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm like, this is not good. So I just decided to make a video about it. 
I made a video about it. Blew up, 300, 400,000 views. I went back a month later, bro, you can't get in the door. Get out of here. And, and they you, attributed to that? 180%. Every person, like he said, literally half the people that walk in the door every day, I saw it on the video. I saw it on the video. I saw it on the video. Wow. Two months ago, I go into this. Your, your following is that local? It's not even, it's the shares. You, the thing, I, I hear you, but what I'm saying yes. is like. Yes, my following is very local. Okay. Very local. Like I'm like, bro, for all, this is funny to say. I'm like a Long Island celebrity. People take selfies with me in gas stations. Do they really? <laughs> Everywhere I go, people come up to me, shake my hand. Hey, I got a house to sell. Oh, you're so handsome. I'm so handsome. I'm more handsome than you. Everywhere I go. Amazing. Everywhere. That, the reason that's surprising to me is, what are you, 26,000 followers on Instagram? Yeah, something like that. How many on, like, how many on the other platforms? Um, 10,000 on YouTube, 160,000 on TikTok. Yeah. Right, so like... Respect for getting that. It's not that big. No. Not. I know people with not millions. Super concentrated. Okay. Long Island. Okay. Super concentrated on Long Island. Um, so I went to this place maybe like two months ago called Cafe Voro. So Cafe Volo, Cafe Volo. It's this little, there's um, the Gabretsky Airport is this little like bullshit airport out in the Hamptons. I've never heard of it. Private jets land there That's and there's why. this little shack as big as this room where like you walk in the takeoff and there's a little cafe there. And then there's like a building next to it. And this place has great food. Plus it's very cool because you get to sit there. Like in the summertime, you take your kids there and they watch the planes land. People land in a little like two-seater Cessna, walk up, sit next to you, eat, then walk away, get in their plane and take off. It's a very interesting experience. Mm -hmm. So I made a video about it. My buddy goes there a month later. The place is absolutely packed. He knows the owner. He says, hey, listen, just curious to know... Um, that video do anything? He goes, you know that guy? He's like, yeah, that's my, my best friend. I brought him here. She's like, she started to cry. And she said, um, she's like, listen, we were going to close down. Like, we didn't have the business. We were going to close down. We were going to partner with another restaurant. Now we hired four more people. We took over the other side of the building. And this place is freaking packed out every single wow. day. How about that? I did that with a diner in Freeport also. I went there to see the people. Which diner? Um, the Imperial Diner, yeah, yeah, yeah. my favorite diner. I yeah. love Imperial Diner. Love it, hate it, I love it. I went in there, the lady started crying. Packed. Okay. I'm going to start doing that more often. It's like, and who the, who the fuck am I? Like, I'm nobody. The point is, if we all did nicer things for each other, mm -hmm. we would all be so much better. Yeah. Have you read The Go-Giver? No. Okay, you won't. That's okay. It's like, it, it, it's, it's how you live. It, the, the whole premise of the book is people wait until they have the things that they think they need to have before they start doing the things mm -hmm. that they think they would do if they had the things, right? So like, if I had more money, if I had more time, yeah. I would, and it's like, no, you get more money and you get more time by doing the things that you would do if you already had more money and if you already had more time. That's the whole premise of the book. And, and the, you know, the, the slant is to give to other people and not money necessarily, but like, your influence, your help, however you can. And you've done that for as long as I know you now. Nice. Yeah. So I remember when you first started and you got that, uh, what was it, PT Cruiser? Your, the first car you wrapped. Oh, I had a Dodge Ram and then I have that Scion IQ that you could basically fit on this table. It was it was the, the ugly one, the Scion IQ, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I missed that car. <laughs> and I remember the, the handsome home buyer, like your face <laughs> on the side, like with a hammer and whatever else yep, you yep, had. Yep. And then the phone number is like, what, 1-800-CAT-PISS? It's like 777-SOLD. Okay, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. okay, fair. So 
Yeah, Cat Yeah, it could yeah, it could be. Well, C A T wouldn't be seven seven seven. No, but no, no, but that could be a that could be a vanity number. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So I just remember um, being like, man, the guy did like four houses, and now all of a sudden he's wrapping cars and calling himself the handsome home buyer and posting on social media as as if you already were who you are today. Yes. What did that when you were doing that? Were you doing that with the knowledge that, like, look, I don't give a shit. This is where I'm going, so I might as well just live as if I'm there already. Because people think all the time, sure, Sean, live as if I'm already there, but I can't afford to live as if I'm already there. But you're a great example of living as if you were already there without being able to afford it. So That's interesting. I uh, And I never thought about it like that. I, um, I was just having fun. Like, my ex-wife at the time, I, I, we were, I guess she was my fiance, our girlfriend at the time. I, uh, I said, I'm going to be the handsome homebuyer. She's like, what the hell kind of a vain a-hole names himself the handsome homebuyer? You can't name yourself the handsome homebuyer. I'm like, I guess I can. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, first of all, like, I'm, I'm not that good looking, so like, it works. People are going to know it's tongue-in-cheek. Now, if I was like a really handsome guy, they'd be like, oh, this guy's just like an arrogant, pompous asshole. Right, Ryan Serhan can't do that. Yes, Ryan Serhan can't do that. Right. But so everybody, like today, fast forward today, seven years later, Everybody, nobody knows my real name. They just call me handsome. That's it. Okay. Even when I was in, in that's uh, gonna be nice everywhere you go. Yeah, it's not. It's, it, I've been called worse, <laughs> right? So um, when I was in grad school, even my professors like, hey, listen, you know, you want to be a big developer, you want to be a big shot, you got to lose this handsome home. I think I'm like, no, I don't. Like all I need is for people to know who I am. Hold on, that can we stay there for a second? Yeah. Was your grad school professor a, f- a successful they real all, estate person? Yeah, they all are. They're all like tops of whatever they're in. But what I'm saying, like, entrepreneurially? Yes. Okay. Okay. At least there was that. At least there was some experience for the guy where he was like, look, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't listen. It. I was like, whatever. You of course know, not. You don't know what you're talking about. But there, okay, keep going. But yes, no, it was, it was somebody who had amassed a tremendous amount of wealth and success. Is like, you got to get rid of this handsome thing. Like, no one's going to respect that. I was like, it, that, that's not how this works. Right. That, maybe that was true in the 80s. That's the thing. And that, that's a really important thing I think most people who are younger have to realize that older people's reality, especially today, because the world is so different today than it was 30, 40 years ago, older people's reality is totally different than your reality. And the world that we live in today is totally different from our parents' world. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, just to touch on something a little off topic for a second, might be helpful to certain people, is usually about the time you turn 30, a lot of our parents are 55 to 65, and that's kind of like, most of us growing up, like for me personally, my dad was my hero. He still is my hero, but I believed everything he said. So if I came to him with an idea and he was like, that's a bad idea, I wouldn't do it because he, he knows everything. Then right about the time where I think people turn, I was 30, I see other people about 30, something happens where something goes like horribly wrong. And I think also like when you hit 60, 65, something kind of happens to a lot of people and there's a kind of a shift of power, like a changing of the guard, if you will, where the kid is now becoming the adult and the parent is kind of taking a little bit of a, of a step back. And at that point you really realize, you know what? My parents did the best job they could, but they don't, they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And the world that they grew up in is not the world of today. And they don't see the world through the same lens that I do. So I can't, I can listen and filter but most of the things that they're saying don't really apply to me. And you can't get stuck on that because a lot of people get stuck on their parents' opinions and views for their entire life. Yeah, I've had that conversation with my parents fairly recently, actually, where I was like, look, you were successful and are successful, and I love you, and 
I don't know if you know who Mark Bell is. No. I've heard you talk about this in a different way, and I think you'll like this quote. He says, I grew up with a performance-enhancing drug that was parents who loved me unconditionally. Yes. And, like, they, in my case, it was, they told me I could do anything, and I just chose to believe them. Right? Yes. And I think I've heard you say something similar. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. So, so there's, there's huge benefit to having parents like that growing yes. up. And it could have gone either way, right? Like, the whole, I used to actually feel guilty about it. I used to not talk about it, because I was like, well, who's going to believe me if I'm, I had a great childhood? Like I didn't, I didn't come from a big struggle bus. And I was like, well, no, wait, there's, who cares? Just own that. You had great parents. I had a, I go to lunch with my dad every Monday and dad, well, he's not listening. Mom is listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he asked me questions about the business and, and, and then he's like, got to change that. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? How would you change that? And then I'll answer. I'm like, you're you're like the person who says they should have changed the quarterback in the third quarter last night. Like it, it, it's great that if you were in the business, yeah, you would speak differently. And what you're describing absolutely would have worked better in your generation. But if I do that in my generation, we just go flat. It's done. We're yeah. over with. Um, so I, I share that with you. Yeah, and listen, I'm very I'm very grateful. But the things that the situations that I got put in that ultimately. There was a saying I heard the other day. I forgot who said it, but it was it was awesome. And I got my my dad kind of got us into a little bit of business trouble when I was thirty. When all this came together, which in retrospect was probably the biggest gift he ever gave me. Interesting. Was it the the Mako? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a saying that I heard the other day, which is um, hopefully every man comes to the realization at some point that there's there's nobody coming to help them. Oh yeah. Right, or I don't know if I'm butchering it or what the deal is, no, but it's something it's, like that. No one's coming to help you. That's yeah, that's, no one's coming to help you because we grew up like very privileged, man. We grew up on Long Island. You grew up what? You grew up in Merrick. Yeah, I grew up in Wantaw. Right, like I mean, schools of excellence. It right. was it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right, never changes. Um, right, our public school was was akin to a lot of private schools in other parts of the country. Yes, I mean upper middle class. We got. I mean. Did you go to camp? I mean, you're Jewish, yeah. Of course, my, my parents owned a day camp. I mean, oh, I they, Rolling they, River Day Camp. My parents really? owned it, yes. So, I mean, we had all the privileges growing up. <clears throat> but that's like, for as great as it is, like that, that's not really conducive to building right. people that are going to go and change the world. Yeah. It's not. Only in like, only in like extreme struggle do you realize <clears throat> that does, does that fire get lit? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened in that moment. Interesting. You know, that's I, what happened in that moment. For me, that was, that was, Hurricane Sandy, then splitting with my business partner in 2015 and, or 14, it would like, though, similarly, right? it wasn't, my parents had nothing to do with it. Yeah. But it was, I agree. If it weren't for those things, I'm still pursuing the top of the average. Yeah. Because I thought that was, that was great. Because that's what you saw. Like, listen, and I always say this, and, and, and I, I don't mean it to sound bad, but when you grow up in places like we did, most people are like, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're accountants, they're like middle, upper middle class people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But you rarely, rarely ever see people striving for something that is truly great. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have, are you a comedian fan? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so this is totally off topic, but I want to go here anyway. You know Andrew Schultz is? Yes. Okay. I think Andrew Schultz is the best he's comedian. He's funny. Yeah. He's Jewish funny. kid from Long Island. He's, you know, he's number one to me or from New York. Um, he talks in his most recent special that I went to actually at the Paramount. He was like, uh, and I want to go see him at the garden because I just want to be there when someone's dream comes true. I think that's so cool. He, he talks about like, I kind of had it too good growing up. 
Like yep. if my dad would have, you know, treated me a little bit less good, I probably would have been more successful more quickly. And I'm not going to try to make the jokes because that's not a smart thing for me to do. But it's, it's what you're describing right now. I literally had that same conversation. About 10 years ago, I turned to my parents. I said, listen, I love you guys. You gave me everything. But I wish you hadn't given me so much. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, to this day, I don't think they understand. It's such a hard line. Because look, as a parent, I have three daughters, right? And a half. That'll be a son. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Confirmed? Oh, yeah, confirmed. Mazel tov. Yeah, thank you. We there you go. We, we figured out the angle. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> the depth and the angle. That's it. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll have four. And it's like, it's so hard to watch your kids suffer. And sometimes it's valuable. And, and we hired a uh, behaviorist one time for my first kid because she fell down the stairs, five steps. Like, she was fine. But after that, she wouldn't walk down the stairs. And I'm like, all right, this is how daddy issues start. Like, if I do this wrong, when my kid's two and a half years old, wow, she's on a pole. Wow. That's where my brain went. Wow. Okay. So, so I, <laughs> by the way, if you're listening to this and, and in between the pole, fine. <laughs> you, you do you. But so I brought a behaviorist into the house. I'm wow. like, what do I do? Because she won't come down the stairs without us carrying her. And this is not like, this is not going to just become, we carry her down the stairs. Did he say just leave her up there? So what they did was they were like, uh, we're going to make it really boring to be upstairs. And it's super exciting to be down here at the bottom of the stairs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to close all of the doors because she was too young to open, like reach handles and open doors. And we're going to have all of her favorite toys, snacks, stickers, all the stuff at the base of the stairs. Okay. And we're just going to keep on inviting her down. And she's going to go through all of the phases of grief before she comes downstairs. Okay. I was like, what are you talking about? All the phases of grief. And she walks me through like she's going she's gonna to be sad. Then she's going to be angry. Or first she's going to be angry. Then she's going to be sad. Whatever. People who know the order know the order. Yeah. And she's like, and here's the trick. I need you to know this before we start at all. She's going to do things that you are going to think we have to intervene now. Yeah. Whether it's hurting herself or whatever. She's like, the moment that we intervene. That's where she's going to go immediately when she wants something in the future. Yep. So you have to just let it happen. I was like, ah, I, I can handle that. Let's go. Dude, <laughs> three hours of my daughter refusing to come down the stairs, having to sit there calmly and be like, come on down. Screaming, slamming her head into the wall, doors, the floor, all of it. Oh, God. You did this four times, dude? Well, I've done it three times. Just wait for her to decide she's going to come downstairs. And she finally came downstairs. We never had a problem with the stairs again. Yeah. That's now listen, that's a really small example, but that was so great hard. example. It is a great example because it, it magnifies into everything else. Absolutely. It was so hard. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned it in 44 years of life that finally that you, you can't change people. If they're going to change, they have to do it when they're ready. And don't waste your don't waste your freaking time. We can influence people though, right? No. No? No. So you think I disagree with you. Well, I mean, listen, you You've influenced people. Yes, but like what does that mean? Like they have to they have to be ready. Like if someone's doing something, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. we all have friends that do really dumb shit. Of course, I do really dumb shit. But I'm saying I, right person not that kind of dumb shit. <laughs> not anymore. There's right person. Right influence, right time. Right time, yeah. But what I'm suggesting is 
if if you and I are always who we are and who we are trying to become consistently, yeah, we don't turn it on and turn it off. The likelihood is we're going to hit certain people yes, with the course. right influence at the right time, and then we're going to improve their lives. I'm talking like when you're trying to like talk somebody in or out of something that just keeps never. Yeah, just this repetitive negative process. Mm-hmm. You just you just can't. I've right. seen it in business. I'm like, listen. Finally, now my new my new saying in the past like year is, hey, listen, man, I want to let you know that I'm here for you. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, come see me. I'll always be here. In the meantime, go melt down and go through it because like I get it. I've been there. You have to just you have to go through the process. Mm-hmm. I've heard a um. I've heard a an approach where when someone comes to you and they're like, Hey, like, I just, I just don't think I can, like, I just don't see how this is ever going to work. You could either be like, well, try this, 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 this. And then they don't do that. Like, I just, I don't know. Then responding and saying like, yeah, I don't think so either. That's the thing that snaps them out of it. That it's like saying, yeah, look, you're probably fucked. And then they're like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Or (laughs) you're going to see how much they want it in that moment. Of course. But listen, pressure makes diamonds, right? Like it is so important. Every really truly great thing in my life has come out of a horrifically, you know, just pressurized situation or event. Really? Most of them, yeah. On the other side of emotional pain and torture is some type of bliss. I think, and I'm curious your take, that depends on how you go at that emotional pain and torture. So, for example, you went through six months of a downturn in your business, mm-hmm. right? For anybody who knows anything about real estate, even if you know the smallest amount, everybody's fear, everybody's fear about real estate is you're overleveraged, the storm hits, and now you go from being a guy who's making millions of dollars a year selling tens of millions of dollars of properties to working in a Mako for somebody else when you owned one seven, you know, ten years ago. Yeah. I, I, like, what was that pain like? Because obviously you weren't facing that, but like... That actually really... That wasn't really pain, So what is pain for you? So I'll give you an example. So my ex-wife. Let's okay. talk about that. So I met this girl. I was with her for five, six years. And a lot of people are going to... They're going to listen to this and they're like, ah, he's leaving something out, right? Try to take my word for it, at least for this example. I listen. I was there for some of it. Yes. Okay. So blissfully in love, engaged. We have the wedding. We don't bring the marriage license. Like crazy Manhattan wedding, all this stuff. We don't fight. We don't have problems. I get along with her family. She's amazing. All of it is great. And literally, we get back from the honeymoon, and she's out to like 4 or 5 in the morning. And she, I get her on the phone at like 7 in the morning. I'm like, where are you? She's hysterical crying. She's like, I don't think I want to be married. I think we should break up. Like, hit me. Like, now, to this point, we were fixing and flipping together. She was, uh, she she was, was a teacher. She's a teacher, but she got her license. And we were building this business together, this dream together, which is amazing. Like yeah. this is for anybody who like, doesn't believe that anything is perfect. People looked at me and they were like, bro, you, you like did it. Like you're dating, like you're married to like a 9.8. <laughs> you guys are building a relation, a, a business together. Yeah, like you're I- happy. You don't fight. Like this is the shit that like I was, movies I, are made of. I remember, I remember her having, I think it was neck pain, and you you brought her to my house. I, like, I, I remember all of it. I remember being shocked. I can't imagine. I mean, it wasn't the we same were, as you, bro. Even I like I got mostly I got closure like very recently, like it was like seven years later. But forget about just to, to digress for a second. So, and like basically she was. I tried to make it work, and like she was. Gone, and then I found out she was cheating on me with some guy and whatever. But it wasn't, 
it wasn't about the guy. It was, mm-hmm. you know, she and I. I had no, I had no idea. And you know, you know, you when things like that happen, people would say, you know what? Like, yeah, there were signs. Like, there wasn't any freaking signs. Right. Like, I was, <laughs> I was a mess for a very long time. But the point of the story is this: Bef- before that, I had this is like my second year flipping. So the first year, I had done ten houses. And she left me, I had done 10 houses in this point in the second year, and it was July 28th. First year you did what, three? Second year is 10? First year I did 11, right? First year 11. Yeah, okay. first year I did 11. This is the second year. So now I'm like, I've done like eight or 10 houses at this point. It's July 23rd. I walk in the door and she's just like, I can't, like I can't do this. I tried to make it work through the guy, like all that shit. I was, I was a mess. And um, so there's August, September, October, November, December. So there's five months left. In the five months, I bought like 30 or 40 houses (laughs) in the next five months. And I had so much emotional pain Mm -hmm. that I just poured into my business. Am I, to the point where I question, if Betsy doesn't leave me, am I as big as I am today? Interesting. Right? And the other interesting thing is this, is that I had so much pain that I would talk to everybody about it because it was so bad like it was like i'm a talker that's mm-hmm. that's what i do like i'm not a person that just has all these feelings and then bottles them up and then maybe explodes later i'm like <laughs> like you're in my periphery you're gonna hear about it so i ended up forming like lifelong very deep quick relationships with people due to me sharing something so intimate and being so vulnerable mm-hmm. Then they're sharing things that are about their life. They're becoming vulnerable. And all of a sudden we have this like deep connection and we're doing business together and that's it. Because one of my buddies who I've done a massive amount of business to this today, and I, I really wasn't close with him at that time. I picked the phone, I was talking, he's like, yeah, I got this deal. And I'm like, I told him about Betsy and he's like, he's not an emotional guy at all. The only thing he said to me, he said, don't worry, we're gonna get you some houses. And we've done like 200 deals together. Wow. Since that. Okay. That's just one example, but yeah, like from that, literally, now listen, some people might say, hey, it's not healthy. You just like threw yourself into your work and all this crap. I mean, listen, it's better than doing lines of blow, hitting strip clubs and freaking drinking myself, you know, unconscious, Sure, but that's the way I handled it. But if Betsy doesn't leave me, am I as big as I am today? I don't know. We'll never know. Right. So we're, I'm curious when you, when you were flipping those first 30 after she left. Yep. Was there vengeance in them or was it just like, what was it? Was it, I'm just going to bury myself here because I can control this. Yeah. Or was it like, you fucking idiot, I'm going to show you how dumb this was. No, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't like a revenge thing. Even, right. even today, it's not a revenge thing. Right. It's a, um. Well, I would think if it ever would be, it would have been then, not now. It was just raw emotion. Right. Just such an, a massive amount of just raw emotion that needed to be channeled into something. I mean, I have a ton of energy to begin with, Right. 10x that energy, I just, what was I going to channel into? I channeled into that. I don't know if you're as big now as you would have been either, but what, like, how does that, how do you now keep getting bigger? Because now what's going to happen is if you constantly need something that's painful to get you where you're trying to go. Yeah. Well, it's not that, it's not quite that dramatic, right? Right. Well, so, so, but that's, that's what I'm trying to understand. Cause people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, I love everything this guy has to say. So do I like wait until things go to hell? No, what I, what I think it is also, and this is like, this is very cliche sounding, but it's very true. Um, don't shy away from uncomfortable situations because uncomfortable situations 
cause growth. It doesn't have to be your wife walking out on you or, you know, your business all of a sudden possibly being taken over by the government or whatever it is, right? It could just be firing that person or, you know, breaking up that partnership or breaking up with that girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be that dramatic, but people get comfortable and they get complacent and they tolerate a lot of things that ultimately inhibits their growth. Sure. So, okay. I love the, the, the line of discomfort. I want to keep going there because I've, I've experienced the same thing, right? My wife even said to me right before we knew for sure she was pregnant this fourth time. I can't believe I just said the fourth time. Jeez. Jesus Christ. That is wild. We were, yeah. So we were done. We were done having kids. And I knew that the business was in this moment of like, we are off by one degree. I, I can tell. I don't know what the degree is, but we're off by one degree. And she made the joke. She's like, you want to get pregnant again? Like every time we've had a baby, you've just, you've, you've grown the business. That's motivation. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, no, but I, 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 but I, but I started to channel the energy as if we did. And then of course we did totally by accident. But, um, it was the, it, it was, it was the ability, it was, it was the putting myself in the situation of when you have kids, what happens is it really starts to focus your time. And you know, you think you have a lot of time. You think you have no free time. Now you have kids, you find out you never, you weren't even working for most people. Um, but that's that's the discomfort that I most recently had to lean into. It was that, and it was the it was the the business not being exactly where I wanted it to be, and yada 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 yada. I'm just I, I'm fascinated by that thread because I like it. I like the chaos. Oh, I love chaos. I can't operate in anything other than chaos. I'm not well, you obviously can. No, I, I I like create chaos. I need it. But you don't create chaos for other people. You create it for yourself. Yeah, because that like I am that I am hardwired to exist in that world. But so how do you, okay, so I'm going to learn something here. How do you create chaos for yourself when everything else has come? It's like a, I guess it's a controlled chaos. I'm basically just, I'm always stacking more and more and more and more on top of it. And so just the constant pressure of stacking all of these things just creates a certain level of chaos. What's an example of these things? Like just more houses? Yeah. So like, yeah, so, uh, okay, now we're going to completely change the business model, and now we're going to have to hire another five, six, eight, ten people, and we're going to do 300 houses this year. And, by the way, we're going to also start a, a fund and a property management company, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to school and get a freaking two-year master's degree in the middle of all that. Like, it's just, I just pile shit on. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's go back to that. I I'm also in businesses where they are just chaotic businesses in general. Like flipping houses is a very chaotic business. It's a very dynamic business. Being in Mako is a very dynamic business. Like you buy a house, you think it's all planned out. No, it's not. It's freaking madness all the time. Well, I loved it when you, you maybe six months ago, five months ago, you made a post and you were basically documenting how you lost money on a house that you were flipping. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. Because, it, you know, it's from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, every house this guy buys just makes a ton of money. Yeah. Must be, and I know you know people are at home doing the math. Oh uh, yeah, of course. The, the the back of the napkin math. Yeah. So I thought it was super cool that you came out and you were like, "Here's how I lost a hundred grand on a house that we flipped and sold for a million dollars." Yep. <laughs> I thought yes. That was... Yeah. Real talk. Yeah. But yeah, people don't like to talk about that stuff. But that. But that's Why not, real. Though? Why not? Because like that's not cool, and it's also a level of vulnerability that a lot of people are not willing to you know bear to people. So what's the benefit of it for you? Why do you do it? 
you know what it is? I um, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. It's like really that simple. Like I don't care. And I feel like talking about these things is beneficial to the world or at least to one or two or 10 it's people that see it. Definitely beneficial. It allows, like what it allows for me at least is any level of comparison that you might try to have with other people when you can come on and be honest and be like, look, I lost a hundred grand on this house yes. and I sold it for a million dollars. Yeah. What happens now is instead of just thinking all, if I only had the money to buy the first one, I'd be Charles. It's like, Oh, there's actually some shit here that I don't know. And it's nice. It's relieving. And it allows it. I think it allows people to, I can speak for myself. It allows me to focus on what I know. I know. And go all in on it. No, I mean, I guess everybody takes different things from it. When I think about it, and I'm not that specific example, but just everything that I talk about, I remember, again, going back to the we don't see things that are great. There was, um, my dad was like a big stock market guy. So instead of like putting my money into these businesses, he's like, you should put into this private placement. I put like two or $300,000 when I was like 27 years old into this private placement. And it just went belly up. Mm -hmm. And I lost all of it. But- I met the guy who owned the company who was trying to basically bring this thing public. I like had a front row seat to watch him. And that was the first time I ever saw anybody try to do something truly great. And then when you see that, all of a sudden, it kind of opens your eyes up to like what is possible. So when I put all this stuff on social media, for me, I think, it, I think more so what I'm trying to do is inspire other people and show other people that you can do anything like greatness is out there. But at the same time, here's the reality of greatness. The reality of greatness is you're going to get the shit beat out of you. Like it's not, it's not for anybody. Yeah. Like I enjoy getting the shit beat out of me. What does getting the shit beat out of you look like? Just emotionally. I mean, knock on wood, I have had a lot of financial success, so it hasn't really been so much financially, but in little dribs and drabs, like mm -hmm. I tried to do an assisted living. I lost 300 grand there. I tried to you're not doing that at home anymore. Which one? The assisted living in Oceanside. Um, the townspeople came out and the temple started rivaling and they squashed it. And I lost a hundred, I lost almost 200 grand trying to get the approvals there. I've lost money. I was waiting for that to place. start. It's, that was so wild. Cause my cousin ran the catering hall there. That was a wild experience, man. I, I bet that was a wild. I mean, I can never go to a political fundraiser again. Like witnessing what goes, <laughs> witnessing what goes on behind the curtain of just politics and the world is, is fucking scary. What was it, like just greasing wheels all over the place? It's not even, I mean, just people and people's inherent nature. Forget about outside of the whole. So basically, for those of you who don't know, we were, I was gonna, there's a four acre site. It was um, Oceanside Jewish Center and I was gonna purchase two and a half. This was a, an amazing feel good project. I was gonna purchase two and a half acres, knock down part of the temple, build an assisted living facility, which is massively needed in that area, renovate the temple, make it more compact because the congregation was shrinking and it was going to be great. The temple was going to get to stay. There'd be an assisted living facility, $800,000 worth of taxes coming into the town, all that shit. Little did I know that that's like Temple Row. And the temples were feuding because they were supposed to be like a, a merger between that temple and the temple down the block. And as a result, there was one lady, this nasty, nasty woman who just riled everybody up to come out and not support it. And what I did was I came out very... Um, open and I was like, hey, listen, something has to be done here. This place is like falling apart. I'm gonna give you guys like six different options of what could work here from a financial perspective and you tell me what you wanna do. 
Now, this is not the way this shit is done. No. The way this shit is done is you, like, you work with certain politicians and they freaking get the thing passed in the middle of the night at three in the morning on a Tuesday <clears throat> in the middle of a fucking monsoon. And yeah. then all of a sudden it goes up and nobody cares. I was trying to be the ideal, like, the idealist and say, you know what? This is your neighborhood. Tell me what you want here. And everything I proposed didn't matter what it was. Medical, assisted living, affordable senior housing because people can't live here who've been here their whole lives. You know, market rate multifamily, uh, self-storage, whatever it was. Nobody wants shit. So I just, I saw how there was like, just like a certain nastiness and a jealousy of people and how people just didn't want change. And they sure as shit didn't want a 35-year-old kid walking through here who's gonna do a $50 million deal. You weren't 35 at the time, were you? The, um, I was probably like thir- I was probably like thirty eight years old, thirty seven years old. It wasn't like two years ago. No, nah, it wasn't. It was a while ago. Okay. So they certainly didn't want that. So that was like disheartening. And then when you see what goes on in politics, man, it is wild. It don't is you have just, to play the politics game? You're getting zoning all the time. There is no politics game. Like the po- the politics. It's like how do I describe this? If you're getting involved with politicians, from my experience, and this is obviously on a very hyper-local level, not on like a national level, who the hell knows, you're, they're not going to help you because ultimately they want to maintain their jobs, and it's what the people want. So if the people come out, even if it doesn't make any rational sense, they don't explain to the people how this is a good thing. They just go with the flow because they want to maintain they're their boobies. positions. They want to maintain their positions. Yeah. But if you don't do things for them, they will submarine your your right. deal. So you're not like working with them to help. You're working with them to just not fuck your shit up. <laughs> and then you're just hoping so that a million people don't come out and say, we don't want to do this. So that's really the problem in New York from development standpoint. It is it is insane. Mm-hmm. The cost, the time frame, it is just it's horrible. It's also if you ask Grant Cardone, the worst state in the country besides California to rent to tenants. I don't know. I but love it. I was going to say, but you do it. I have 100 plus. Right. I have over 100. Yeah. I love it. It's great. What do you love about it? So, I mean, I have all different types of tenants. The majority of my portfolio is government program based. So Section 8, um, CDC, all different kinds of programs. And uh, I love that because um, throughout COVID, I got paid every month. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have problems. Now, listen, it is tough here. Yes. But- Along with all the bad, there's a tremendous amount of good. And what do I mean by that? Okay. Is it bad that, you know, it could take you six months, a year, two years, three years to evict somebody? Absolutely. But you know what? Um, Long Island has negative absorption when it comes to rentals. What do I mean by that? There's not enough. We couldn't build them fast enough. So the demand is so crazy and the numbers are so crazy that it's an exceptionally profitable business. The other thing is if I'm listening to that and I, I own one, and I got a squatter for two years. That's a big problem. Yes. When you own a hundred, yes, it's one percent. Yes, and I and I yes, exactly. But um, you know, there's good and bad in anything. If you are buying, you know, somewhere in North Carolina, and all there is is tracts of land where people are just going to keep building and building and building, when the economy takes a shift, and inevitably it's going to, there's a higher likelihood that there's going to be more supply than demand, right? And you're going to have a, a vacancy problem. Mm-hmm. Where in New York, Long Island, like. You don't have vacancy. Well, for people who are listening to this from anywhere else in the country, besides probably California or like the Boston area, uh, or maybe even Miami, but you, big cities or, or, or yeah. tight suburbans, <clears throat> I've driven through your parts of the country and seen like this town is coming. 
on a sign. Yes. Like, buy your house in this town yes. now. I'm like, what does that mean? Yes. There's no, where would you put a town here? Yeah. There's no room for them. Uh, There's no so, land. We're right. completely built out. Right. So what you're just, what you're saying is like, we already have the number of houses that we're going to have, give or take one or 2%. That's it. And so if, if the demand for rent keeps coming, then we're never going to have enough houses anyway. Exactly. And on my, on the lower tier of the market where I am, there's really nothing because New York's a very expensive place. When you say the lower tier for people to understand, you're saying you don't rent premium properties. You're renting houses that are less expensive. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're renting section eight, when you're renting houses to section eight, you operate off of something called FMR, which is fair market rent, which is what HUD sets nationally on a county by county basis. Mm -hmm. So for me, like when I'm underwriting a deal, that's the floor, right? That's the floor. It's workforce housing. It's not, it's not luxury. So, you know, right now we're about to get $3,500 for a three-bedroom house. You know, uh, a three-bedroom luxury house on the North Shore, something can be five, six, eight, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. So when you, have all, when you have affordability- A luxury house on the North Shore for five, six $600,000? Oh, no, five, no, I meant uh, rent, $5,000, okay, okay, $10,000 a month got it, got it, okay. or more. Now you don't, you have, um, it's very expensive to live here. You don't have a lot of housing stock. And you're on the lower end from a pricing standpoint for houses, they're going to be filled all the time. Mm -hmm. Very low vacancy rates. Like the vacancy rate on Long Island is less than 3%. What's, what's crazy about Long Island to me that people don't understand who don't live here. They just know it's expensive. They don't understand exactly how or why. Like your tax bill never goes away. <laughs> so $1,000 a month to live in my house, that just, it's never going, like that's yeah. every, every, it's only going up. Yes. Um, your mortgage can go away. You pay it off. I hope you're grieving kind of, every year, right? I don't know, man. I like listen. You're I'm in Merrick, right? Where are you? I'm in, right here in Long Beach. Oh yeah. Why are you grieving? I who said I'm not? I, I'm probably not. You have to <laughs> grieve every year in Nassau County. I, I just did a full renovation, and I don't know that I want to do anything right now. I, yeah, that's not how that works. No. No, it doesn't. You live in Nassau County and you're watching this. Grieve your taxes. Okay. <laughs> And you should grieve them with with Maidam Baum. This, I was, is not a, this is not a paid thing, but you should grieve them with Maidam Baum. I was just I was just worried that they were going to hit me with uh, higher tax rates. They had a half bath. No, first of all, they no. First of all, full what, bath. did you? First of all, they don't come and inspect your house. Okay. Second of all, did you file building permits to do this? Yeah, yeah. interesting though. Here's they, a question. They already for know you. about it. Here's a question for you. Yeah, I never got a CO because here's what it happened. Doesn't matter. But what do I do? This is like for anybody oh. listening. This this is like okay. This is totally irrelevant. I'm just asking personal <laughs> advice right now. So I got I had a contractor who never talked to my architect. Like he was like, you shouldn't have had an architect. Nice Persian guy. You never should have had an architect. My draftsman and you know, the guy could have just done it for you. Yeah, no. And I'm like, well, then I couldn't have gotten permits. He's like, yeah. we don't ask for permits. I'm like, my place looked like a brew through. You took the front of my house and the back of my house yeah. off. Or until the building department just comes and slaps a stop work order. Right, of course. So, but they didn't, I imagine, there are little things that the architect said do this, and they were like, no. So they did it their way. And now the architect won't sign off that the house was done the way he said because he didn't come in and inspect while they were at the phase. And, and he's like, give this to the contractor that says he did it exactly as I said. And he won't sign off, so I haven't got a CO in my house, and these two guys won't do it. Uh, I mean, we can fix that. Okay, we can talk about we can talk about that offline and fix it. But you have to grieve your taxes. It doesn't matter. You have to grieve your taxes. Every Fine, year. I'll grieve my taxes because everybody that grieves them, right, that gets the reductions, mm -hmm. they, the county still needs a certain amount of money to operate. Right. So what are they going to do? They're going to shift it. Where are they going to shift it? The people that aren't grieving their taxes. Okay, that makes sense. That's why bank-owned properties sometimes have twice the amount of taxes on them that they should because the bank doesn't get involved with that. They just pay the tax bill. Okay. Um, 
you you're going from a business that you are like it was the Charles Weinraub value, and now it's going to a business that you have a team and a staff. And now I'm a real systems. now I'm a real CEO. Okay, so what's the difference? What like first of all, what was your day to day, and what is your day to day now? So my day to day was working in the business on the t all the time. Which means what? Like you I, you don't know how to swing a hammer. Raised yeah, I can't. I'm not handy <laughs> at all. I can't do anything. Yes, no. Um, I would look at every house. I would raise every dollar. I would be, you know, running around, making calls, setting up closings, all of that stuff. I, I was a business owner, but I was not. I was not a CEO. I had a job. So you were like what Tarek pretended to be on that show back in the day when him and his wife, now ex-wife, used to tour houses in Southern California and Arizona. I've never seen the show because I don't okay. own a TV, okay. but- I, I assume yes. He would go on and be like, oh my God, this place looks terrible. Let's place a bid. And it was all obviously, they yes. already had the house. Yes, but yes. Uh, yeah, those shows where everything goes horribly wrong, but they still make a million dollars. And so everybody goes out and flips houses or yes, tries to. Exactly. Yes. But I was working, and this is everybody in a business can relate to this. If you cannot leave your business for 60 days and come back with it running better than when you left, you do not own a business. Right. You have a job. Yes. So, and you know, one of the mentors I originally, I just, I started working with, or I just finished working with has a saying that for the CEO to live, the hustler must die. Okay. So, which, which makes sense. Like you're hustling all the time, hustling, hustling. Like now what I'm doing is building systems, hiring the right people, paying them way more than I ever really wanted to, to get a much better result of a system-based business that operates without me. Mm -hmm. So. What does that mean? A realtor would call me and say, come and look at this house. Great, I would come, I would look at the house. I would walk through, I would make an offer, I would GC the job, I would raise the money, I would do everything. Now I don't do any of that. Like the leads come in through our inbound and outbound um, outreach. It comes into a leads manager who takes the call, um, asks a series of questions, sets an appointment, sends it over to the deal desk. The deal desk looks, enters in more information, assigns a field rep. The field rep goes out to see the house with a special uh, 3D camera, takes pictures throughout, inside and out, so that the person at the deal desk, it's like they're actually in the house. Interesting. So they can see every aspect of the house. The deal desk does the review, sends an offer over to the field rep. The field rep negotiates the deal, gets the accepted offer. Um, our, um, the people in-house, process all the paperwork, we close, the construction division goes out, does the renovations, lists the property. I don't do any of that shit. That's amazing. Nothing. I haven't seen a house in over six months. So what do you do? What do you do day to day? Build the business, build out the systems, hire the right people, continue working on the marketing and when, when the people, levers. When people hear that, I, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm doing similar things. It's not, it's not the same scale and it's not the same business at all. Um, but people will ask all the time, you don't sell anymore. Yeah. You don't coach clients anymore. Yeah. You don't mentor business clients anymore. You don't do anything. Like, what do you do all day? Like, you just have to kind of follow me around for a day and you would see how much I'm doing during the day that is not in the yeah. business. A CEO, it's very simple yet very complicated. A CEO is responsible for the growth and outlook of a business six months, one year, two years, three years, whatever it is. And they are responsible to put people in place that can execute their vision of the future. Yeah. And that involves overpaying the right people to do it. Mm -hmm. 
And whereas before I would just put like inexpensive, I would just put bodies in seats that were like affordable or inexpensive to fill a void. But those people suck. Like they don't do the job right. Now our hiring process is so crazy that we like, we put people through predictive index testing. You know about that? Yep. It's crazy. It's it's creepy as hell. Do you use the PI test? We don't use the PI test, but I've been through the PI test. Wild. Yeah. That thing is wild. Do you have a consultant who has to interpret it for you? No, we we trained on it. Okay. We trained on it. And then also what we do is we work with... Just just to give people yes. some insight. Was it 60 questions? No. So this this is called predictive index. Right. But so it's two questions. Okay. Two questions. It takes five minutes. So there's, there's, there's two parts to it. There's the personality test, which basically describes the type of person you think you are, the type of person you are at right. work, and the type of person you're walking around. Right. Then there's a second test that's linked to it sometimes, which is the cognitive test, which is like, yeah, let's say 30 or 50 questions, oh, yeah. which, men, which measures your COG score. Right. And then it builds a web for you. And it's like, these are the kind of people you should be surrounded by. These are the people you're going to do well with. These are the people you can do poorly with. You need a leader who does this. You need a subordinate who does that. Well, basically what it does is it, the predictive index test, and there's a bunch of these different tests. Right. You might be talking about a different one that's similar. Purple? The um, website's purple? I'm colorblind. I don't fucking, okay. I, I'm like, I'm batting <laughs> a zero on so many questions here instead. I'm sorry. Um, so basically it's like, it's A, B, C, D yeah. on, on a, on kind of like it charts it out. My, I'm looking at my emails while you talk about this because I'm pretty sure it's pretty. You know what I'm talking about? I think, yeah. So basically it measures really three main indicators of, you know, people's personality. And then what you do is, is you design kind of a personality type that would be perfect for a particular role. And then before you interview people, you send them this test. And if it doesn't match up within a certain amount, now there's always outliers, but for the most part, it's pretty dead on balls accurate. There it is, man. There's my predictive index. There you go. That's exactly what it is. What are you, uh, a captain? Uh, who's the, I have the captain now. Yeah, you're a captain. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a maverick. Okay. Yeah, you're I a don't captain. Know, I don't know what the maverick is. The I, like, only me, difference between me and you is, you see how yours cuts back on the bottom on. and your, your D cuts back? My D cuts back. I will share. So I will put this document into our uh, show notes so that all of you can see what we're talking about right now. Uh, go on. Yeah. You see how your D cuts back? Yeah. yeah. My, my line goes straight out, which means I'm just, I'm very comfortable with risk. Whereas your D coming back in is your, um, you need things to be a little bit more structured. I'm just like, fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I need some of what you have. Like people, people, so people, people listening to this are like, what? You, Sean is risk of risk averse. I'm like, no, not compared to you, but compared to you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why, so captains like, so Nat, who we know yep. is a captain. Okay. Captains are, listen, captains can be great CEO, CEOs. They can be, they're amazing COOs. Um, Richard Branson only hires from what I understand the COOs of like massive businesses to then be the CEO of his. Right. I've heard him talk about like, we don't, we just don't do the whole try somebody new out. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we want proven entities. Exactly. So that's the thing. And every, every avatar is good for a certain type of position. And the test is so accurate that you can usually, you can literally use it in court. Like if you refuse to hire somebody. Interesting. Based on the fact that they didn't test the way you needed them on that test and you've tested everybody with it. No problem. That's it. That is a legitimate defense that holds up in court. Okay. So we've used the predictive index test. It is an absolute game changer. Now it's not a hundred percent on all the time. There are certain outliers. There are certain, like I have a field rep who's amazing. The guy is an absolute savage, closes everything. 
And um, a field rep is a certain type of avatar. Um, captains are are good field reps usually. I imagine they're just yeah, they're salespeople, great personality, all that. He is not. He is something that just typically wouldn't work, <laughs> but he freaking kills it. So there are some outliers, and depending on how far off the dots are, but it will save you a lot, a lot of time. Okay, Mary, you're listening to this. We're gonna we're gonna jump into predictive index. Predictive one, index. one of the things we're looking to do right now is we were talking earlier about our business trajectory at Active Life. Mm -hmm. We were help people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym from anywhere. Yep. Then coaches started hearing what we were doing and seeing their clients coming to us and being like, what the fuck? Why is my client who is in California or Oklahoma working with a company out of New York who doesn't even have somebody who lives local to them? I need to go learn what they're doing. Yeah. We started right. educating coaches. Then gym owners started to see their coaches who worked with us make an inordinate amount of money compared to all of the other coaches in their gyms. And they're like, what's going on here? So they yeah. started asking us, what are you doing? So we started like, of course, let's start coaching gym owners. And this is me. This is where people say, like, you have a problem with risk. Not really, but I want to know more than maybe you do before I start. I was just like, yeah, we can teach coaches. Yeah, we can teach gym owners. I sold um, 20 gym owners, a program that cost them $2,000 a month that was going to be 12 months long to start, and I only had the first month built. Yeah. Like, that's... I don't think they would be angry at me now. They know this, but uh, like that's, that's most people would shut down and never do that. Like you have to be a certain type of person yeah, to be yeah, able yeah. to do that. Yes, but so now what happens is those gym owners we built it out. It's amazing now. Like our Mary, our team, absolutely smashed the mentorship we give to clients to the point that, like you said, I can go on vacation for sixty days. They'd probably be like, "Thank God you were gone. Nothing, yeah, nothing, that, nothing that you would have fucked up got fucked up, and now amazing. things are better. That's amazing. It's great. But now we're seeing. Our clients would only go 80, 85% of what we asked them to do for reasonable levels of fear about the next step because the next step changes everything about their culture and their business. So we launched our own brick and mortar that was the concept we were teaching them how to run and we launched it in January. Okay. It's been everything that we told them it would be and more. And we're making mistakes because we're, we have to be the test kitchen. Yeah. And so we're not making as much money as we possibly could because we're trying things that don't work because we have to find all the things that don't work and we're still making money. So now we want to open a thousand. Okay. I can't do that without raising money. Okay. Um, that's easy. That's easy. Easy. I've, okay. Raising money is the easiest thing. Okay, so, so we'll, we'll talk about that off air. Okay. But <laughs> the thing for me is like, well, now the risk that I'm playing into is like how much money? Um, what is their control if they get that money? How do I return it to them? Because the number that is reasonable for us to raise is not the number that I want to raise. I want to go for like what we really need to do the thing. Okay. That's where my risk comes in and says, and I need to not do that. I mean, you're, you're human. Everybody, for me, like, my saying is always, I'm more afraid of being average than I am of being broke. So am I. I've, my email that's coming out on Monday that people won't have heard this by yet will say, the first sentence says, hell is dying and meeting the version of yourself that you could have been. Yes. That's my, that's number one fear in my mind. So what are you worried about? Giving somebody else control and having them not uphold the standard. Oh, so basically you're looking to raise money for other operators to open these places? I'm going to own them, okay. Starbucks style. But okay. they have to be excellent every time. It can't just be like, this is how we churn cash. We don't care about the reputation. Well, basically, it's kind of like, um, 
what's that new fast food that they're saying isn't fast food, but it's still fucking fast food model? Um, Chipotle? You don't have a TV, no, so it's Chipotle new to you? Not Chipotle. Okay. The other one. The way they're closed on Sunday, they're very Chick-fil-A. religious. That's like the Chick-fil-A model. So yes. you know about the Chick-fil-A model? Uh, very much so. Yeah, so basically like- We're, We are Chick-fil-A and Starbucks had a baby. We're doing that. Somebody comes in with 5%. They need X amount of years experience, 5% equity, and the parent company essentially rapes the P&L. And then that person says that they're an owner and makes 250 grand a year. Yeah. That's exactly what we're aiming to do. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Easy. Yeah, easy. The, the, the hard part is the What's getting... What's the hard part? There are several hard parts, at least for me, because I haven't done it before. We've done okay. it once. Getting the money. All right, easy. Um, finding the properties. Okay. Building them out consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big bottleneck, really, and this is where we need to do things differently is we develop our staff to a degree that other people aren't even considering. Okay. So we need to source people properly. Okay. We need to train them properly. And then we need to install them into a system that's working. So we need to train the leader. We need to train the staff. Okay. That's the hard part is getting, because right now the fitness industry, there's nobody offering a $70,000 a year salary that can peak out at 120 when when you're hitting profit share Without working more than 25 hours a week on the floor. Yeah. We're doing that. Are you offering, are they, are they being owner? Are they going to be owners? Um, so we, we're back in, yes. In some cases, yes. Yeah. Not, not, not the coaches on staff, the leadership staff, the operator. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. And that, that's fine. So you're talking about the coaches being able to make 70 to $125,000 yeah. a year. Okay. Yeah. On salary. So what's the problem? I still, I. We need, we have chicken and egg, right? If we had a hundred places right now. It would be obvious that you need to come get this education to get a job working in a business that pays better than anybody else and works with the kind of client you otherwise couldn't get to. But when right now we need a we need coaches who see the opportunity to come say, I need to get that education so that when a location opens up, I can be primed to go and work there. I'm still I mean what? finding enough people who want to go through the education to get hired is the number one thing. That's easy. How is that easy? All of this shit is very easy. What I, what, I mean, if I'm you, what I'm looking at is this. I'm thinking about, listen, this is basic franchise model. And then you're coming up with a scenario of like, okay, how, what's the best way to execute this? It's a franchise you, model that we own. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, it's, when I say franchise model, repeat, I mean, repeat. You are, yeah, you have a system mm-hmm. that is replicable, that makes sense. So what you're going to do is you're going to build the first one. You're going to build all the systems. You're going to put all the manuals together on everything. You know, what are the demographics? Where does it work? What are the processes? Yep. What are all the margins? Done. What's, you know, boom. Okay. Now it works. It makes sense. Here's the margin. Now just go fucking open more of them. What do you, I don't understand. What, what's, what's the point? You're, you're marketing via a whole host of different ways to go market. Mm-hmm. Social media being one of the main ones, right? Yep. And so wait, you want operators or coaches? Yes, both. So, so right now, mm-hmm. right now, the education for that coach is 13 months long. We need to truncate that. Yeah. Right. But so in order to truncate that, you have to, be, it has to come down to 90 days. That's exactly the number that I have in my mind. Yes. In order to do that, I believe they need to be on site in New York getting trained in person. Okay, no problem. 90 I, days. When I owned the Mako, when I owned the Mako, they, I had to go to King of Prussia for, yeah, for like 45 days or 60 days or some shit like that. So what'd you do? Find like short term leasing there to rent and live? I, I had to rent a hotel and a I hotel. went, and I went to Mako school. So you would have active you, active okay. university. Right. Well, that's, 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 that's these a big are, part of where the money needs. These to are just from. the operators, but. But again, similar to Chick-fil-A, yeah, Chick-fil-A, similar to Chick-fil-A, they need to have a certain amount of experience. So maybe what you do is you're bringing in these high-level people in New York. Mm-hmm. 
under the pretense is that, hey, listen, we're going to send you to different places and you're going to be able to have an equity stake in a business and you're not a business person. Mm -hmm. But the only way you're ever going to own a business and make a certain amount of money is under this umbrella doing something that you love. Right. So you're going to work here with us for whatever amount of time, a year, two years, whatever it is, six months, whatever it is, with the idea that you're going to be placed in a, exactly what we want to do. Placed we in a store. But they have to have equity in order to keep them there. Yeah, yeah. I follow. We need the, what we need is the money that I'm looking to, to, to raise when we start raising money is the money to build that school and to build the next five locations or 10 locations. Yeah, when it, it's, it's just like, we'll talk. Yeah, this isn't like, oh, I don't have the money. Like the money is the easiest part of this whole freaking this, thing. I, I love to hear that. It's, it's something I've never done before. I get it, yeah. I've, I've been bootstrapped since day one. This thing started with like, working with an athlete for free and turning him into 10,000 more. If you have, listen, here's the thing you have to understand, right? I need you to like really internalize yeah. this. There is far more money in the world chasing people like you than there are people like you chasing money. That blows me away. Because when I hear about people who went to VC and tried to pitch and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's all just like Put a thousand no's first. When I got into this, Carl said to me, hey, listen, if you do this right um, and you do what I'm telling you as far as how to raise money, you're going to have more money coming at you than you have projects. I have a guy emailed me yesterday. True story. No, I'm sorry. Monday. I don't want to know why. Yo, man, listen, I got $1.5 million. I need to put it to work in the next 60 days. Sorry, I can't take you $1.5 million. I don't, know. I, just, I don't have the need for it. Like, I have people lined up to get. I have people literally DMing me and texting me every day. I need to put 300 to work. 1.5 million to work. I, a million. I, I offered one time and you said I, you weren't ready. You weren't taking Bro, bro I, I, I literally don't have enough opportunity for the money mm -hmm. at, at the level <laughs> that I am. Crazy. And listen, we're running around right now with, let's say, like $30 million in investor capital. Mm -hmm. And I could go raise another freaking 20, 30, 40 more, like freaking nothing. I just, was, that, was that true from the beginning, though? No, I mean, listen, it never starts out like that. Right. But But... It's a process. Once you prove to people that you can make them money, word spreads very, very quickly. I believe that. And again, with everything with COVID, like there's a lot of money in the world. There was a lot of money printed. Where yeah. is that money? It didn't dissolve. It's in Nancy Pelosi's house. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it is there. People don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So if you have a proven business model that can be replicated, and the return justifies the market's risk or what the market considers to be a risk. Mm -hmm. It's easy. I, I got on the phone with a guy who's a franchise consultant. We're not looking to franchise. We're, that's not what we're looking to do. But like you said, it's the same kind of idea. And he's like, look, there's a, there's a, there's a math game. It's 300-300. Like, what does that mean? It's like 300 locations making $300,000. It's like a month? It's like, no, a year. $300,000 a year? Net or gross? Gross. Okay. What does that mean? That, that's a that, that's $100 million buyout. Is what he was saying. Whatever. It's I'm not looking to sell, but the point is, when you when you operate a franchise, yeah, no, their no. goal is 300 locations making $300,000 a year. I was like, we were doing that by March. I think I think the $300,000 a year is, is a net is a net number. No, it's a gross number. I I was what's, specific about what's it. the net? 40 grand. The net on so an Orange Theory franchise, and I don't have the actual franchise disclosure documents, but you can do the math by backing into some stuff is like 7.5% on your investment, and your investment's about a million, so you're looking at $75,000 to $100,000 a year as your return, 10%. That sucks. I know. That, is, I, this, that sucks. That's why they're, they're not continuing to grow. Most, so what happens in most of these fitness franchises especially? The fitness franchises, fitness is hard, dude. Very. Well, that's why we're, that's another thing that's hard for us is we're not exactly fitness. 
we're something beyond fitness and we're not quite healthcare. So there's this understanding that the market needs to do. Like you were saying before, you were ahead of the curve, right? Now we're talking yeah. about Gary Brecka and yep. all these people are coming out and being like, you don't have to wait until you're sick and dying to not be sick and dying. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but we're still having to educate the market on what we do because Dana White hasn't been our client yet. Yes. That's what we're working yeah, I mean, that's just, that's marketing and branding. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen, that's, but if the model works, the model works. And it's easy. If, if the margins are there and the investors are getting, you know, a real return or they have equity part of it. I mean, and, and it's very, very, it's very, very simple. Like the guy can't make a generalization like that. Basically what it comes down to is there's, there's private equity, there's hedge funds, there's all these people with tons of money that are looking to buy up existing businesses and they pay a multiply, multiple of, of, of EBITDA right. depending on the scale. The more you have and the more hands off it is, the, the bigger the multiplier. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple. Yeah, the, the, I don't mean to keep being the guy who's like, oh, well, here's the problem with that solution. The, the trick for us is a multiplier of EBITDA doesn't get us there. What it gets, doesn't get you where? To where we, like, it wouldn't make sense for us to raise as a multiplier of EBITDA in order to start to build out no, these facilities. No, that's not how the raise goes. Got it. I'm talking about that's how the, the exit, the sale. The valuation. But when I look at, like, and listen, I might be totally wrong. I'm com You're not fitness, but I'm comparing you to fitness, but I'm just kind of comparing you to everything, which is everything has a life cycle. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's talk about fitness for a minute. Like, when I was telling you about that gym that I love before. Mm -hmm. When I think about a new gym concept, like, CrossFit, I'm like, yo, you want to be fast, hard out the gate, build this thing one to five years, and then sell it, mm -hmm. and then whoever gets another five years, and then it's done. Because, mm -hmm. like, the fitness world is very fatty. Yeah. You know, here today, gone tomorrow, that's, like, that's how it is. Let's say everything has, let's say, a 10-year run. Mm -hmm. So you got to come out of the gate super strong, build it as big and quick as humanly possible, then sell it at, like, close to the height, give it to somebody else, let them pull out whatever they can until ultimately it just runs dry. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about how many different fitness franchises were here and then gone. Curves. I actually saw Curves the other day. I was like, holy shit, there's a Curves that still exists. You're 100% right. And look, the thing for us is our aim is not to be fitness. Yeah. Fitness is a part of what we do, and that's a big yes. part of the reason why what you're describing, we don't want to be fitness. I don't want yeah. to be a 5, 10-year ride in the night. Yeah. But, um, but, every, but everything, for the most part, has a life expectancy to it. Yeah, yes, and um, if you look at Equinox, for example, yes, they're on a decline right now because other people have come in and just outdone them because they, they, got, they got tired. But the NFL hasn't slowed down. Oh, listen, there's certain things. I mean, did you ever think Blockbuster would go out of, out of business? I was too young to know the difference. Shit, God, that's depressing. But, um, I mean, I was old enough to know what it was. How old are you? 40. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no, we like No, I just mean like I wasn't okay. studying the business model of Blockbuster or not. Yes, but you remember going to Blockbuster and now Blockbuster is a, you know, it just... Uh, MySpace, whatever. Everything has a life expectancy. Every business is in the process of going out of business. You're just trying to delay that. I, I get that. Inevitable. I'm not expecting active life to still be called active life 150, 200 years from now, operating the way it is. Is that what you're looking to do? Are you looking for this to be a long-term legacy? Yes, Are you yes. looking to build Le it to like a certain legacy, point Legacy, business, it? generational, all that. I don't want to sell it. Okay, fine. But but So it'll evolve and change. Exactly. It will become a, an IP company. It will become a consulting company. Like It will become all of those things as a result of the success that we demonstrate in the business. Got when it. everybody in the world right now is going towards AI and we're going towards people. That's going to be the study of like, everyone zigged this way. Active Life was like, no, 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 people, not computers. How the fuck did they get successful? That, that Got it. That's my anticipation. We'll see how okay. that goes. No, that makes sense. Um, 
I don't want to make this all about me. What is there anything? <laughs> is there anything I didn't ask you that you think would be useful for the audience to listen to and hear? Because I think what you did today was you you presented a masterclass on just giving first. Um. Yeah. 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 No. I mean. Yeah. I mean, listen. You if and a lot of this stuff is really cliche, and you can see on an every dramatic TikTok video of some dude like in front of a podcast mic, but there's really nobody else there, and it's like yep. he's in the shadows. You know what I'm saying? It's I know like, exactly what you're talking about. But really, I built a I built a business on selflessly giving to people and wanting nothing in return while understanding that there is an inherent benefit to that. Mm -hmm. And I give first, but don't allow myself to get taken advantage of mm -hmm. and just work your ass off. I mean, just, just work your ass off. I liked that. Um, I want you to explain the difference there between giving and being taken advantage of. Then we'll go to a wrap. But before I do that, I want to acknowledge, I love that you added the work your ass off part. Because today, the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to work hard. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have lived, in, lived very cushy lives, us included. Yeah. But even people who haven't, there's like, now there's this whole, I'm going to need to get too political, the oppressed, oppressed, all that kind of shit. And it's like, well, I work really hard, but it won't matter how hard I work. I'll never get what you get because I don't look like you look. Well, that's not true. Yeah. That's but, but, but that's... All, it doesn't matter where people come from now. There's, We're living in the participation trophy world, and a lot of people want things handed to them more easily. They want their shortened yeah. work week, all that. I like it's to just say, all excuses. Yes. But so what's the difference, close it out with, what's the difference between giving and allowing yourself to be taken advantage of? Yeah, I always look to help people first. If somebody needs my help, I absolutely give that to them. If I start to see a repetitive pattern of just selfishly taking while not giving in return that's when I cut it off. It's more of like an energy thing. Got it. And listen, I, I could be giving to somebody for a very long time and and not really needing or wanting or expecting anything in return, but I just understand that they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. When there's people that don't appreciate what you what you do for them or the first time you reach out just to ask a simple question, they're they're not there for you, that's the moment where you where you cut it off. And it's not bad that you like that you gave to them and gave to them and didn't get anything and then it ends up you know getting cut off because they're just not because you didn't get anything, but, but they're taking advantage and they're not good people at their core. You know, it's, it's, some people look at it as wasted time or wasted energy. It's, it's not. It's a data point. Yeah. It's just. And you still put good into the world. And don't, don't change who you are as a result of just a few negative experiences. Because I think people in general inherently are good. The overwhelming majority of people will appreciate what you do, will reciprocate. You will all go up together as a result. It's, it's a very small percentage of people that are just, shitty people mm -hmm. i agree all right turn pro i hope you enjoyed this episode of the active live podcast please remember give us a hand rate it review it wherever you listen to shows we are on a mission to humanize the healthcare industry by professionalizing the fitness industry to empower the individual to live a life unlimited by the way that their body looks feels or performs if you are inspired by that mission and want to jump on the wagon find us anywhere Active Life Professional on Instagram, Active Life RX on Instagram. Come to me personally at Dr. Sean Pastuch. We want to welcome you onto the train. We want you to be a part of the mission. We want to offer you the opportunity to pursue this right alongside us. We're inspired by your effort and we hope to help you in your journey. Turn broke.